The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This is a podcast from Minute Media. In the fall each year we all congregate The mouth all gathered at the church of Pilgrim The scriptures reading from the book of Monson Our favorite verse, my God, a freshman Drunk and obnoxious, what children face Ain't nothing finer in the land Now the 3,000 of our best friends It's Saturday and that thing Welcome to the Saturday in Athens podcast. We're a Georgia Bulldogs show by dogs fans for dogs fans. I'm your host, Herschel Gurley, and we are joined tonight by a very special guest, Georgia long snapper, William Moat. What's up, brother? What's up? How you been? Good, man. We're good. Well, we're, we're excited to have you on. Uh, as, as you and Payne both know, we are big proponents of the long snappers and of everybody in Dog Nation knowing their snapper. So we're fired up to have you on to kind of tell your story so everybody can can learn a little bit more about you. Yeah, no doubt. I'm I'm glad to be on, glad to kind of get some recognition. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was I was talking to Payne about this and you'll you'll I feel like empathize with this. Tough part about being a snapper is if you're doing your job right, nobody does know your name, right? Yeah. So that's kind that's of the tough I've part. Ever, I've been told that ever since I was a kid because my dad did the same thing he was a long snapper so as long as somebody doesn't know your name you're doing good yeah so you talk about your dad he was a snapper now he played at auburn is that right that's correct oh man so house divided last weekend huh oh i don't know about that see he wasn't wearing but he wasn't wearing any orange and blue he was wearing george stuff at the game so it's funny man I, i i get that right like I have four kids, and if one of them went to a different school, I would, like wouldn't be happy about it. But you'd be all in for your kid, you know, like you wouldn't oh, yeah. even think twice about it. That's cool. Now you're originally from Alabama, right? Like the um, the Hoover Birmingham area. Yes, sir. Hoover. Uh, I'm from. I went to Spain Park High School from the Hoover area. I was born in Birmingham. Yes. So for folks who don't know. Spain Park and Hoover, Cross City Rivals, right? Oh, yeah, no doubt. Cross City Rivals. So George Pickens went to Hoover, and we actually went to middle school together. He just transferred there right before high school. And so I've known him for a while, and we hate each other. <laughs> it's, it's like it's like oil and water. Like, if they have twice as many students as we do. And like the football program is just unfair. Like my freshman year, we had beat them twice in the same year. And they literally have twice the size of the football team as we do. So that was like huge, but it's not too often that we get to beat them. And my junior year, we should have beat them. No doubt. It's just, they had George Pickens. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. That's a pretty good. Uh, that's a pretty good Trump card. Well, that answers my question because I was going to ask if the timelines on that lined up because I knew he had gone to Hoover. So that's cool. So, 
what's that like? Tell, tell us that. What is it like? What's the recruiting process like? And how was it for you narrowing down where you were going to go? Was, was Georgia always at the top of the list for you? Or did you have multiple places in mind? Like, how did, how did that journey go for you? So, like, as I was recruited pretty early on as a long snapper, just because I would go to camps with my older brother. So I would compete against older guys at college camps, and, and I did well. So my freshman year, uh, I started going to camps with him, and then my sophomore year, I started taking that pretty serious, like the recruiting and everything, trying to actually just do long snapping and instead of trying to find another position that I could play, because obviously, I mean, in, in D1 football, like <laughs> – it's way too competitive. They're going to find the best athletes out there to do it for them. And, and I mean, that's obvious at Georgia this year, but Georgia was not always on the top of my list. So a big proponent and factor was, so I just started going to camps and my freshman year, I, I naturally went to the Auburn camp. Cause that's like what I grew up doing. Like that's the team I rooted for where my dad played, where my dad knew the coaches and stuff just to see if I could actually do it kind of thing. And Scott Fountain was the special teams coach there at the time. Yeah. So I kept snapping and kept doing well with Coles, kicking, punting, and snapping. That's uh, the kind of recruiting program that ranks kickers, punters, and snappers. And Scott Fountain ended up leaving there, going to Mississippi State. So – my junior year, they had offered a senior a scholarship. So that just kind of, I was like, all right, I'm not going there. So I wouldn't get to play for four years at least. And I would never be put on scholarship or anything. So, and then Scott Fountain actually went to Georgia. I think it was Georgia first. Yeah. As a analyst so that Georgia started recruiting me and my dad actually had some ex-players that were working for the team then too like Rodney Gardner who was the defensive line coach so and then Fountain left and went to Mississippi State so they started recruiting me really hard and then by that time I was a junior and then I had received my first scholarship to Samford in Birmingham actually yeah so I had a full scholarship there and they really wanted me to commit early and I wasn't sure about it just because I wanted to see like the other options I had since I was being recruited from three different SEC schools and stuff at the time. And then so Fountain actually left Mississippi State like a month after and came back to Georgia. So all of this like started like a Auburn was out of the picture. So it was Mississippi State, Samford and Georgia and I had loved Georgia I'd come here it felt weird because I'd never actually been to a Georgia game like I've never yeah. been to Athens kind of thing and I was getting to see a lot of different college campuses at the time uh, Mississippi State was actually recruiting me in my opinion they were recruiting me a lot harder than Georgia but I knew like that's not where I wanted to go kind of thing. Like their head coach came in my school and literally like just talked to me, which was very surprising. Like at the time it was coach Moorhead. Yeah. And I was just, I was like, wow. Okay. So their head coach wants to, to come see and talk to me. But I mean, Georgia was just awesome. Me and my dad had prayed about it and stuff. And then 
So the thing about long snapping is everybody wants to recruit them last, like last thing on the board. They, they're not worried about it. Like they're trying to get everybody else, get all, everything else in line. And then they worry about the long snap. Literally the last three weeks or four weeks within signing day, I had Tennessee telling me they wanted me to come there. And then a whole bunch of other smaller schools in App State telling me that they wanted me to come on a official visit. So I went on the official visit to App State. And then finally I decided like that they actually offered me a full scholarship while I was there. And then I was like, didn't, didn't necessarily want to go there. And then, yeah, I decided to come here and it was hard decision because my whole life, I just always wanted to like, not be like a burden to my parents anymore. Just kind of like let them retire sort of thing. Like yeah. so my goal was to have two, like I wanted to have a full scholarship wherever I wanted to play. And at the time I had two full scholarships and I decided to take an out of state walk on instead of those. <laughs> and I just felt like I really messed up when I first made the decision, but I don't know if I can regret it now. Yeah. I feel like it's worked out. Okay. Yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Snapping for the number one team in all the land. I mean, that's not a bad gig, right? Yeah, not at all. It's been a lot of fun this year. Yeah, so I'm interested to hear your perspective on this because this is something that my co-host and I have talked about a lot. And maybe it's something that we're just blowing up as outsiders, but it does seem real. So I want to get your take on it as well. But And Coach Smart has talked about it some at SEC Media Days, and we've heard different players talk about this this word connection, right? One of the themes for the team this year. And I'll tell you that sometimes from the outside, those things just seem like lip service, right? Like just buzzwords that that teams are using. But with this team, I don't feel that way. I feel very strongly in the opposite direction, that it's very real. It seems very evident from the outside that this team is very connected and very invested in each other. And I just mean that from the perspective of when something happens on the field, it, it's not about the one guy or the one unit. It's the whole sideline. Everybody's into it. Everybody is invested and focused on that. And it's, it's just a, a really apparent team environment from the outside. Is that something we're just imagining or is that real? No, if, if there was a year to say that that was real, I think of the three that I've been here, this is the most real it's ever been because, I mean, I feel like personally, if I was a freshman coming in right now, could talk to anybody and feel comfortable with it like i mean nobody feels too hot-headed or too too um too good to talk to somebody right now i mean i feel like we're all good friends and this isn't something that just happened or timed up correctly i mean we've been working on this just like we've been training like to be honest like coach smart instilled these meetings that we would have They'd separate the team into different groups. And we sat and took almost, I think it was once or twice a week that we would just sit down and talk about different topics and stuff. This, I think it first started, um, this kind of thing first started when as a team, we kind of realized that our country did have racial disturbances I think everyone knows what I'm talking about. And 
you know, we just sat and talked as a team about what was happening because there were a lot of guys on the team that just didn't feel comfortable and wanted to talk about it instead of just letting it kind of happen and just looking the other direction sort of thing. So we sat down and we talked with Benjamin Watson, I think the tight end yeah. that, yep. that has been on the SEC network a couple of times. We had a lot of guest speakers, especially over COVID, like the same thing happened. Like we had zoom meetings as well as a team and, and we would just kind of sit and listen. And if anybody wanted to talk, we just listened to them, you know? So everybody got to learn who everybody was. Um, the only time that we first kind of like came to a, like a stone wall was when all the freshmen got here this summer. So we were all like, all right, new faces kind of start over. Like we, right. we got to start learning everybody else. So, I mean, we had workouts where coach Sinclair was like, all right, you got to name everybody in your group's name, last name and where they're from kind of thing. Like, and if you don't, we've, we've got up downs and we're going to do it until we figure it out. It was hilarious because I'll never forget this. Julian Rochester was in my group one time, and everybody just knows me on the team as Moat. Like, oh, that's Moat, that's Moat. They know me, like, and that's <laughs> I've known Ju- Julian for like three years now, two and a half really. And he looks at me and he's like, "I'm gonna be honest, Coach. I don't know Moat's last name." <laughs> <laughs> And the whole group just kind of started laughing. And he said, what? And I looked at him and said, Julian, William's my first name. Moat's my last name. <laughs> oh, that's I, fantastic. No yeah. But this the connection this year is just different. I mean, we all know each other. We all know why each other play the game and why they work so hard for it. And it's not just the players, it's the coaches too. Every coach has shared their their story with us and their why, why they're doing what they're doing. We understand each other very well this year and we're all very comfortable around each other. So it's more like a fluid fluidity instead of a working for yourself kind of. Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, obviously, SEC Nation was in town this weekend. College Game Day was in town this weekend. And SEC Nation, Jordan Rogers did a piece with – I think it was Jordan and Channing and maybe Quay was the third one, I think. And the whole premise of the piece was Jordan was kind of talking about, you know, everybody kind of talks about you guys being like a no-name defense. Like there's no like one star. It's like everybody's kind of a unit. Like, do you guys not like that? Like, do y'all want a different nickname? And they all pretty much without hesitation were like, no, we love it. Like, because that's what it is. Like, this is about us as a unit. It's not about just one guy or whatever. And then Jordan kind of elaborated on it and talked about, you know, we've talked a lot about this year about connection, but it's beyond that now. Now it's just love. Like that's kind of what it is. And we've talked on, on our show about it just is very evident. Like from the outside, everybody's just pot committed to one goal and it's just a unity thing. And it, it's very easy to see. So whatever y'all have been doing, it is working. <laughs> like, I mean, it's, it's just, it's very apparent that, that y'all are invested in each other's success and it's not about one guy or two guys. It's just about, look, we're all pulling the same weight in the same direction and doing the same things. That is laugh out loud funny though, about the last name thing. Like I, I will say too, to our listeners, you know, if you haven't been part of a team, uh, especially at the college level, a football team, 
it's a it's a big group. I mean, it's a hundred guys essentially on the roster it, when you count scouting guys, all that. Yeah, I mean, no, it's our roster is about 130, 120. So I mean, especially when new walk-ons come in in the spring and the new freshmen. I mean, you just gotta. It's almost like you're starting over. You've got another batch of fifty people or something. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I played I played baseball in college, and we had like 28, 30 guys on the roster. And even then, like, that's a lot of guys, right? And you have different position groups and whatever it may be. So you're going to naturally spend more time. Like, you guys are spending more time as a group of specialists than you are with probably defensive backfield, right? But I think that's the beauty of doing what y'all are doing is it's giving everybody an opportunity to, like, interact and know each other, which then in turn, position or not position, everybody knows who the other person is. So it kind of eliminates some of that natural segmentation. Do you think too, that was kind of some of the lesson of COVID was just inherently because of protocols that were probably in place because of that, there weren't opportunities for guys to be together and to interact and do things communally. So do you think that was one of the lessons the coaching staff took away was to say, you know what, look, if there's ever going to be a blessing from dealing with all this, it's that we can utilize this now to know this matters. Like this is important. Our guys knowing each other and like understanding why they're here and what drives them. Yeah, I think for sure. Cause whenever we left, we, we went on spring break and I mean, it was two or three months of just not seeing your teammates. So when everybody got back, it was just like, dude, how have you been? Like, it's like we got out of our natural habitat so quick and all of a sudden that we got out of rhythm. So the co- I, th- I think the coaches really realized that, I mean, they probably got out of rhythm too. They were, they were on vacation for two or three months and coaching something you've got to, it's a grind. Like it's not something like you just wake up in the morning, go decide to have a good day with your players. You've got to, wake up early you've got to break down film and all of that so everybody just got out of their rhythm and the coaches realized like look this is something we've got to take advantage the other teams they're probably not going to figure out that they've got to be together like you know a team can only mean so much as the one person that leads it you know what i mean right. kind of thing like there's one person and there's another person, but if that's if they're not working together, there's there's no common goal. So I think the coaches definitely were trying to teach us that, like, look, it, there's nothing like playing for each other. It's way better to play for each other than it is to play for yourself. You have way more fun, and it's way easier to win, in my opinion. Yeah, it, it's just been apparent, man. Like, the energy's been undeniable. You just kind of see it. Everybody's just fired up. And I think it's also contributed to – there's very much, I think, the unique thing about this team is it's been a – it's an everybody-eats mentality on in every phase of the game. Like, whether it be on offense when certain guys make plays, everybody's fired up. On defense, it's the same way. Like, on special teams, like, I, I felt like when – Dan blocked a punt and Zamir recovers in the end zone. Like everybody was amped, man. And like, I don't know. I just feel like you can't fake that. That's just real. Everybody was genuinely fired up for those moments. Um, And to pivot off of that, you know, 
pretty good highlight for you in the Arkansas game. I think we saw 56 streaking down and, and, and taking somebody down that game of, on the TV copy we were watching. So yeah, got, no got one in the book that day, right? That was a lot of fun, no doubt. I'm in the, I'm in the stat books now. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, but yeah. speaking about connection, I mean, right after that, the first thing I saw was I looked up and saw Nolan Smith screaming, that's my long snapper. Dan Jackson coming to dab me up after it. And then almost, almost half my team like saying, hey, good tackle, man, like on the sideline, hyping me up kind of thing. I mean, that made it way more enjoyable and honestly I said this in one of my interviews with the team I think one of the questions I had was was that tackle like one of the most exciting moments in your career at Georgia and I was like you know honestly it was exciting and it was fun but I've enjoyed way more seeing my friends succeed instead of like just me doing very well because, I mean, I'm just a long snapper. I can only do too much. <laughs> and and I love seeing, like, my examples were last year seeing Pod uh, hit the game winner. I mean, that was phenomenal. I'm with Pod, like, every day. So, seeing that, the whole specialist group was out there. They were the first ones. We have a picture of, like, all of us literally crowded around him. Like, I didn't even have my helmet kind of thing. And uh, that was crazy. And then when Dan blocked that punt, it was insane. So this is another thing I want to ask you about because you're going to have unique insight on it. Sanford's always an electric home environment, right? It's a great place to play. Between the hedges is between the hedges. It's magic. It's one of the, the best venues in college football. But from the outside, it has seemed even more vibrant this season. Like it has just seemed like a legitimate 12th dog with – the fan base this year. Um, oh, yeah. We, we were in person for the South Carolina game and then watched the other two home games, well, the two SEC home games on TV copy at home. But even through the TV, you could just feel the atmosphere. I mean, I thought Arkansas was really loud. And Holly Rowe did a hit during the game at Arkansas. They had done – the whiteout at Penn state for the Auburn game. I don't know if it was the week before, maybe a couple weeks before, but she said, you know, just to give the viewers some perspective, we did the whiteout in happy Valley night game, you know, electric atmosphere decibel levels. There were like one Oh two or one Oh three. She's like in this end zone, I'm standing in right now. The decibel levels are one ten, and Sanford seats 16,000 less than Beaver stadium. It's like, I thought that was crazy. And then I got a text last weekend while I'm watching the game from my buddy who was there. And he's like, look at this. And it was a picture of the scoreboard and it showed the decibel level at 113 during the Kentucky game. So like, do y'all feel that? Has it sounded louder? So, I mean, it's definitely has sounded louder because I mean, last year was the first year I've gotten to start and the crowds were what? 25% 25% last year. So right. the first thing Coach Smart wanted us to get ready for, and especially for home games, was the crowd noise, obviously. Yeah. It's something we've got we haven't had to play in in a year. And when you're out there playing, it's almost and Coach Smart said this as well, it's almost like a silence. So it's so loud that that you're just you're playing in silence kind of thing. Like you hear it, but it's not there. Like you've done what you've done so many times that you just block everything out. But 
I would have to say that the Arkansas game, it was very, very apparent that it was a 12th man out there on the field that day. Like yeah. no doubt in my mind that everybody in the stands was in on it. Like it was so loud. And I think that has a lot to do with coach smart basically challenging the fan base. I mean, we're dog yeah. nation, right? It's crazy. Like they showed up and it was 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock game. Like yeah, people had to drive around from all across Georgia and probably out of state to go to that game. And I was telling some of my teammates that I was like, Y'all, y'all don't realize, like, whenever I went to one Auburn game, I don't think about this. Like, we live in Athens. So, it, yeah. what, it takes us 15 minutes to get to the game. Other people, they probably live three, four, two hours away. Like, and they're coming early. <laughs> they're early. And, and they're out here. Like, I remember that game. We – it was the morning, and we were leaving to go do a walkthrough um, at the facility from the hotel. And – it, it looked like it was a two thirty like two thirty game like we yeah go to walk through two or three hours before the game starts and so that would have been around what nine o'clock yeah and I mean the whole campus was a lot by then and I was like this is crazy so I mean no doubt in my mind Dog Nation has definitely been very apparent in the home games and. I have buddies that play at other other schools, and they're like, "You think you're gonna win?" And I was like, "Dude, we're at home. Like, we're, we're gonna win." <laughs> and he's yeah. like, "I mean, even even I just think like it's different playing in Sanford, and some people finally believe it, but I just yeah, it's definitely been the Arkansas game. I mean, the offensive line, Arkansas's offensive line jumped offside three or four times in a row." So yeah. the whole crowd was just eating it up. This last game at Kentucky, the whole crowd was doing the wave. The whole crowd. Like, it, it wasn't just, like, half the crowd or, like, like I swear, probably the nine-year-old man in the stands was doing the wave. <laughs> like, it looked like everybody was doing it. And then since we were beating the crap out of Kentucky, like, we were doing the wave. And then as soon as we got to Kentucky, none of them did it. And then the whole crowd booed Kentucky because they weren't doing the same. I was like, this is crazy. It's like, it's like there's a hundred thousand people here, but they're all acting as one. <laughs> so it was, it was, it's been awesome. So. Yeah. It's, it's been pretty evident to see, like we thought it was loud South Carolina and then, you know, obviously it was a night game. So they had the red lights at, at night from third quarter to fourth quarter, which was just, I mean, it was awesome. Um, and we had brought my two older kids and it was my daughter's first game. And like, she was eating it up. She's like, they do this every time. I'm like, every time. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun, man. I, I just think it's been, I mean, we've been going to games for a long, long time. And look, like we were at the Notre Dame game in 19. That was a crazy environment, right? But it was Notre Dame and it was a night game and it was prime time. So you kind of like expect that, but like, I, I knew something was kind of in the water and different when, Noon kick Arkansas and Sanford was about to pop. I mean, it was it was wild. So yeah, it's cool to hear that from y'all's perspective because I do think it matters, especially that's part of having the home field advantage, right? Is is knowing that you're gonna kind of give the other team problems with that. I thought Kentucky handled it better than Arkansas from like a didn't have any like penalties, but I think they watched the tape. Like they did a lot of quick counts, and I think it was kind of because of that, right? Like they weren't doing these long counts or trying to get stuff straight. Cause 
they saw what happened to Arkansas. It was just a hot mess. Yeah, so I mean, I saw I saw an interview with Mark Stoops, and he was saying, "Yeah, we're just not going to change anything up. Like, there's just like we're just going to keep practice the same. We're not changing anything." And I was just like, "Dude." you cannot say that with a straight face. Like if you're coming to play in Sanford, you know, you're cranking up that, that crowd noise yeah. trying to get us used to it. And you're doing nothing but telling them, look guys, <laughs> it's going to be loud. Like, cause that's what we did. I'm, Coach Mart was very, very clear about it. When we went to Jordan Hare. he was like, look, this, this is a loud environment guys. And you know, that's something we practice. Like that's, that's something we got ready for. So you grew up going to games at Jordan Hare and you traveled last year, which obviously different environment because not full stadiums, but of the SEC stadiums that you have been to, what is your favorite road stadium in the Southeastern Conference? I would have to say Alabama, probably. I, lo- I liked playing there. I, I wish, like I so wish we, we would have beaten them. And, but it's, it's very loud there too, but just, I like how much space is on, on the field. Like they they have a lot, a lot of space on the field and it's very cool environment. Even though I hate Bama, like (laughs) I absolutely, (laughs) for your whole life, (laughs) for my whole life, I've just hated them. But, um, I would say that or Arkansas. Um, Yeah. How was, how was Fayetteville? How was that? It was really cool. It, it was almost like it was a pretty new kind of area. I think a lot of that uh, Fayetteville has been developed recently because I'm pretty sure Walmart was like founded near or pretty close. Yeah. But I know their new facilities, they've um, a lot of the money was just given by Walmart, I'm pretty sure. But it, it was pretty new and the. The stadium was really cool, I would say. It was kind of open in the corners, but very like, I don't know. I would kind of compare it to ours, but taller sort of thing. I can't wait to go to Neyland. I've heard Neyland's crazy loud. It's bananas, man. Yeah, and with, uh, I mean, I know they hate Lane Kiffin and everything, but I'm just interested to see how the crowd's going because after seeing how they treated uh, Ole Miss, that would just be interesting. Oh, it was that was wild, man. So we went, we went to Neyland in fifteen. It was the, it was the game where Nick Chubb tore his knee up first play of the game. Dude, they are ruthless. Like, oh, yeah. there were people in sections like applauding when he got hurt. Like it was, it was crazy. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's a you will be. I think the thing you will notice when you guys kind of walk out for warmups is just the breadth of it, like how big it is. And it's fully enclosed. So it, it already has a different feeling than like Sanford does, obviously, or just because I, I feel like that is one of the neat things about Sanford is like with the bridge behind the end zone where the school board is, it does kind of give it this cool feel and you kind of get the campus and the background and everything. Neelan sits directly on the river and it's just massive. Like, yeah. I've, I've yeah. been in, in Neyland before for a camp. I actually went there for camp when I was being recruited, and it was massive then. And I just want to see it full of people, to be honest, because you know that game's going to be sold out. Like, that yes. game's going to be 
popping. And they're going to try and do everything in their power to mess with us in the crowd. And it's just going to be loud. And hopefully not for the whole game, though. <laughs> we the, the game we went to was a 3.30 kick. And... You know, I was like, I was pretty sure it was October. It was when the game was still in October before they flipped the schedule up. But it was a beautiful day, and uh, dude, it was it was loud. I mean, Georgia was up big early, and then Tennessee scored two touchdowns before the half, and it had been kind of like quiet. And we we're like, you know, like everybody talks about Neil, and we're like, it's kind of dead. I think some of that was just because Georgia was walking the dog on Tennessee. Well, after they had these two touchdowns within like a minute and forty five seconds of each other. It got very loud, very quickly. <laughs> and then the entire second half, they were just raucous. Like, it was, it was a lot. I mean, dude, it's, what are they, 103 or something like that? I mean, dude, it's a lot of people. Oh, yeah. It was, it was a massive, massive gathering of people. The cool part walking into, which you guys won't get to see this part, but, you know, they have the Val Navy where they have all the tailgates set up on the river. So as you're walking into one of the entrances, you essentially walk down the road past the Vol Navy. So, dude, it's just boats everywhere. And everybody's yeah. just getting crazy and then, like, walking off the docks into the stadium. And totally different environment than, like, what you're used to in Athens. Yeah, I, I, I'll be interested to hear from you after you go, like, how loud it is on the field, like, oh, yeah. from what the difference is. Yeah, so my brother was in Tuscaloosa for the Bama game. He kind of said the same thing. He's like, it was a cool stadium. He's like, you could tell if it had been full, the atmosphere would have been wild, like because of the way the stadium was set up. And he was like, you know, it was very – we felt comfortable. Like it was a comfortable stadium to watch a game in, which isn't always the case. But, yeah, so that's cool. The, the one that's on my list that we, we want to go to is we've not been – to Baton Rouge to Death Valley. That's oh, yeah. that's on the list. I haven't been there, but I've heard that's crazy too. Yeah. So pa- we're just like Payne told us he traveled there his yeah. first year and he's like, it was nuts. <laughs> <laughs> and that's pretty much been unanimous from everybody we've talked to that it's just insane. So I guess last thing we'll ask you is well, hold on, I have one more question because you come from a pretty big family. You're like youngest of what? How many older siblings? Youngest you of five. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Is is it all boys? Is it a mix? Like, how, what's your sibling structure? Three boys and one girl. Okay, that's cool. And you're the youngest. Who's the oldest? Uh, brother, or oldest brother, brother or sister? I have. It's a brother. Yeah, Josh. He's in Europe right now. He's in the Air Force. Yeah. Oh, sick. That's cool. Yeah. So was that um. I did want to talk to you about Coles because that's one of the things I kind of want part of this too, is for you guys, if kids are out there playing middle school ball or high school ball and they listen to this and are thinking, Hey, I'd love to play at the next level, but you know, maybe my genetics aren't what I think they need to be to play at that level. I feel like long snapping is a good entree for kids, right? Because it's a specialty. And if you can get your times right and still be a certain size, you can have an opportunity to play at the next level. And I know Coles is good here. I think there's Rubio kind of in the Midwest that, that do good work too. But like if kids are looking to develop that, what are some resources and advice that you would point them towards? If I were to try and train my son, I would, I would definitely find somebody not knowing how to snap as somebody like as a parent, not knowing how to snap, 
I would find somebody who I knew would know how to snap. So maybe local high school, college, if I was young, like middle school or high school, college, or um, even pro retiree or something like that. And I would definitely get my kid to just try and try and work with him for a little bit. And then really it's all about reps. It's something where it's kind of like a golf swing. Like you're not going to be good at the beginning. (laughs) It's just not going to happen. I mean, there's some people that can, they're flexible or, or they're pretty strong and they can get it back there. Like baseball players can typically do it pretty well, but it's not something that, that can be elite yet. So um, I would definitely just try and get, try and learn the basics, do drills, do do them immediately. And then honestly, Coles uh, does a really, really, really good job of training um, snappers. And my coach, his name's Casey Casper. Uh, he's the head coach of the Coles snapping program. But there's training camps and then competition camps. So I would, and my dad did this, and I would get my son to do the same thing. I I, I actually had to pay for my first couple camps going to him because my dad was like, look, I'm not going to pay all this money if you're not going to take it serious. So I trained and I paid for the first couple. And then once I started like doing well, he started helping me out and stuff. So, but the the training is very, very good with Coles and um, I would not start going to competition camps until uh, probably the end of my sophomore year or and stuff like that, just to see how you rank up against other guys. Also, I would try before my freshman year, I would train before my freshman year, get my kid to be halfway decent consistently like consistent speed does not matter when you're young, but being consistent does matter. The consistency is like always matters. Start going to camps when you're young, unless you're like just not ready, like know when you're ready kind of thing. When you're young, go to camps. And if you're out there competing with guys that are older than you, coaches will start looking at you. They'll know you're different. They're no, there's something, there's something different about you because you're doing it and you're taking it seriously at a younger age. And you're doing better than the kids that are two, three years. So you have time to develop. Kind of, it's the same thing with other athletes, in my opinion. Like they try to find the young athletes that they can do what the older guys can do, kind of thing. So, I mean, long snapping's tough, but like I said, it's like a golf swing. The more you do it, the better you'll get. But make sure you're doing it the right way. You've got to have somebody that will check on you every now and then. Like I have coach. Casper and I even have my dad's and my dad in the stand still to the, this day. He's got his binoculars. He's like, look, I can see this flaw. I know what you're doing, but I mean, you've just got to correct yourself. You'll get bad habits, very identical to a golf swing. You just got to correct yourself and just keep getting better. And yeah, that's, that's what I would say. I'm going to date myself, but how I learned was VHS tapes. My high school coach was like, Hey, we need somebody to snap. You want to do it? You can dress out on Friday nights when I was a freshman. <laughs> I was like, hold up, hold up. You let me go to all the games as a freshman. I get to dress out and I'll get to play. He's like, yeah, if you can do it well enough. And I'm like, oh, yeah, give me the tape. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I had a VHS tape in like 98. That's how I learned. So, yeah, but yeah I mean, it was it's the best thing, too, because it, it gets you, I think, to your point in front of older athletes earlier. It's like, dude, 
you're on the bus as a freshman with all the seniors and you're getting to play. And I don't know, it, it changed. I, I think what my perspective was for the, the final three years of high school after that, having that experience, which I wouldn't have had outside long staffing because there was, there was too many quarterbacks in front, right? Yeah. <laughs> Not many people are signing up the long snap. There's going to be other people signing up to do the other stuff and you can really yeah. separate yourself. I feel like. Exactly. I mean, and this is kind of the trick to the trade, to be honest, if you want to play in the league and you're say a, a good tight end, you're probably not the, the starting Alabama or Georgia tight end or not the starting Alabama or Georgia linebacker kind of guy. Learning how to snap and playing both positions. I know one kid that does this. He's a good, he's a pretty good athlete. Uh, I think he's at App State now. He plays tight end, and um, I think they recruited him to be the backup long snapper too. And he's good at both. Um, that adds to your draft stock way more than people realize because – Coach Mark says this all the time too. Like, look, your your ticket to the NFL is special teams. If you can play special teams and you're an elite player, you're going to get drafted higher than the elite player that doesn't play special teams. Yeah, because they they can put your your stock into do two different things instead of just one kind of thing, and they can put you. It's like a plug and play kind of player instead of just a a teach and play kind of player. You know what I mean? Yeah. They don't yeah. have to coach you as much. It makes their job easier. That's why they draft you high. That's why they pay you the big bucks. So, yeah, I mean, if you're a good athlete but not a great athlete, get into long snapping because, I mean, there are not a lot of good athletes that are long snappers in college football. I'll say that much. Yeah, that's a great point about the NFL piece, too. And I think uh, uh, some of that, too, deals with the fact their roster constraints are so tight, right? Game day roster is 53 guys. It's just not a lot of guys. I mean, if you think about going too deep on both sides of the ball, that takes you to 44 guys. Well, like, you know, then you're going to have a kicker, a punter, a snapper. So you got to have guys that can play on teams. And uh, there was a guy I worked worked for the – well, they were the Redskins at the time, Washington football team – when I was coming out of B school and they had a guy named Nick Sunberg who dude, he was in the league for like 13, 14 years. All he did was snap. Like uh, that's I mean, one of you, the guys I've trained with before actually. Yeah. It was nice guy, really good snapper. And so what Nick Moore's with the Ravens now played at Georgia, right? Yes, sir. Nick Moore. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I am always, it was funny. I don't know if you saw it. Sam Decker who played basketball at Wisconsin he tweeted out randomly like three weeks ago, he's watching games and he's like, I just don't think people pay enough attention to field goals and punts, like the snap and the holder. He says, it all looks very difficult. <laughs> I mean, and yeah. I do think that's real. Like, I think people just are like, Oh yeah, this is just like another play that happens. And I don't know. I just feel like if you've, if you've played the game at any level, you know, there's a lot of minutia that's going into all that. Like, because I, I bet, how many days a week do y'all have periods completely dedicated to, well, for you, it's like for punting. And then for pain, it would be for field goals. Like there's periods that are dedicated to that. And then there are, I don't know, there's just a lot more to it than I think the casual fan. They go, oh, yeah, extra point. This, here we go, free point or whatever. But it's not it's not that easy. Yeah. Our, our unit definitely, our punt unit this year, we – are probably the most complex punt unit in the nation, I'd have to say. And I think that's something that makes our punt unit great because 
Uh, Coach Mart puts the best players on pine. Uh, and he realizes that, you know, this is something that can completely flip the game sort of thing. These And a lot of people don't realize, like, long snapping – Long snapping is a position where you can completely lose the game every time you're out there. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> I, I thought about this. I was like, you know, I'm a wide receiver. Every time the ball's thrown up to them, they they have the chance to make a play of their lifetime kind of thing. They they can win the game right there. They can make the difference in the game. I mean, I I I would say that the long snapper, every time he goes out there, they have a huge play on the game. Like if you've got a bad, bad snapper, that is not something you want to have on the team. And if, if you can't find the back, a backup to do it even better, that's something you don't even want. Like, like in the NFL, I saw there was a long snapper this past year that broke his hand or something during the game. And I think it was Pat McAfee. Awesome. <laughs> I love oh, yeah. He, uh, For the brand. Uh, yeah, for the brand. He, <laughs> he was saying, all right, listen, everybody. Nobody knows this, but on punt right now, their starting long snapper got hurt. So the punter and all of the coaches on the sideline are so worried right now. I bet yeah. none of you know why, because <laughs> the backup is like the third string tight end yeah. who did it maybe in high school. And, and does not do it very often in practice. So, I mean, just heads up, guys. Yeah. <laughs> and nobody really realizes that. Like, a long snapper can lose it. And, you know, thankfully that's not happened in my career. <laughs> yeah, because what, what are y'all what are y'all sets? Is is Jake 18 yards, 20 yards? How far is he back? From Jake here? is 14 and a half. That's it? It's that tight? Yeah, it's 14 and a half. And – and the shield is seven. seven. Oh my god, I had no idea it was that tight. Because when I was in high school, our well, we did it because our guy would take like four steps. But because I could could move it, dude, our guy would stay eighteen yards. Yeah. So, like to your point, if you miss a snap at eighteen yards, and you're snapping line of scrimmage is the twenty five, the ball's in the end zone. Like, yeah, that's crazy. So, how many steps does Jake take? Like two, and he's out. Like. That's yeah, tight. Uh, it's a one or two step. If it's backed up, one step, and then uh, if it's regular, it's two steps. So it's oh, all man. about operation. We went over yeah. it today, and we average uh, under one point nine eight seconds per snap, like snap to punt. So, man, I'm gonna be tuned into that in Jacksonville. I'm gonna be like locked in on that now. <laughs> I had no idea he was that close. That's crazy. I just didn't even think about it in my head. I'm gonna have to look now that's wild that's so close so what are so then what are where is he setting up the hold on on field goal seven uh seven and a half yeah yeah okay that's that that translates and that was the same for us that's interesting man well that's cool brother well look we're uh as you know we're always rooting for you and everybody else should too 56 circle it in your program folks make sure and look out for your boy also let's also point out our boy has got some legitimate pregame swag rocking that cowboy hat. I think that needs to stay stay in the loop. That's I mean that's swag for days, brother. No doubt. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, man. Like I said, we're uh, we're rooting for you, and you guys keep tearing it up, and uh, just enjoy it, man. I told Payne the same thing. You guys got a short window with all your buddies and enjoying this, and man, just just breathe it in. It's awesome. Yes, sir. Will do. 
All right, buddy. Go dogs. Thank you so much. Hey, George is better now.